We are continuing our series of messages, which uh, is entitled A Life of Blessing. This is the third week in this series, and if you, for some reason, missed either of the first two weeks, and I'm a little hot here, Peter, if you missed either of the first two weeks, uh, you can pick up a CD and notes uh, on the back tables, and uh, would encourage you to do so, so that you have a real foundation for, um, for what we're even going to be sharing here this morning. I'm going to briefly review uh, a couple of uh, key principles from the last couple of weeks uh, as we step into this morning's message, which I've entitled, Reclaiming the Blessing. And next week, we will finish out with releasing the blessing. But two weeks ago, we began by uh, looking at the concept of receiving the blessing. And in order to receive the blessing, we need to understand what the blessing is. And so I want to remind you again this morning of our foundational scripture, which is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 22 to 27. This is sometimes known as the blessing of Aaron, or the priestly blessing. And it's a blessing that was given to Aaron to place upon the people directly following um, the atonement. And so it comes in the context of the offerings that have been given, the sin offerings, the burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings, where things have been made right with God and right with one another, and then the priest would step out and he would place his hands, extend his hands in blessing unto the people of God. In fact, um, I was at a gathering last night, uh, which was wonderful, over at um, Friendship uh, Missionary Baptist Church over in South Minneapolis, uh, in remembrance of uh, the whole Black History Month and Richard Pastor Richard Coleman and Songs of Redemption too, and Heart of the City, and Rabbi Ed Rothman was there, and at the end of the uh, service last night, he prayed this blessing over the congregation and held his hands like this, which I can't quite fully do because this finger won't separate from this one, okay? Um, and he prayed it this way because it, it makes the Hebrew letter Shaddai, which is the God of provision, the God of, of El Shaddai, the God who has all things for his people, and the priest would pray it with this hands extended in blessing over the people of God. And this is the prayer that he would pray. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Now as we've discovered this last couple of weeks, when we talk about blessing, we're talking much more than simply wishing good thoughts. We're talking about much more than simply even 
sort of some kind of kind prayer. When we're talking about blessing, we're really talking about an impartation. To bless, or barak, is the act of imparting the blessing, the baraka, the force from which the fullness of life springs and which enables one to fulfill one's assignment and calling. So when we're pronouncing blessing, when Aaron and the priests announced and pronounced blessing, what they were pronouncing over the people of God was an impartation of that which they would need to fulfill their assignment and calling as his people, to fulfill their destiny. So it is with us. God wants to impart his life force into us to enable us to fulfill our assignment, to fulfill our calling, to fulfill our destiny that has been given to us. And so there is the release of and the impartation of blessing. Now the foundation of blessing, the source of this, is the Lord. He is the one who is the creator and sustainer of life. It flows out of His kindness, it flows from His faithfulness, and is expressed through His mercy. The source is not us. It's not in our ability to make this happen. It is found in the source of it. The wellspring of blessing is God Himself. He is the one who creates life. He is the one who sustains all life. And it flows out of His kindness and faithfulness expressed to us through His mercy. Now the priestly blessing, again, as I mentioned earlier, was given in response to the atonement and consisted of three parts. There was, and and even within, and I shared this that first week, um, if you look at the words, there are three words in the first line, five words in the second line, seven words in the third line. There's sort of an increase. There's There's 15 letters in the first. There's 20 letters in the second. There's 25 letters in the third. This is not accident. This was crafted and created to to show an ever-cascading flow of blessing out to the people of God. Part one had to do with provision and protection. The Lord bless you and keep you. Favor and grace. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up, turn His face towards you or lift up His countenance towards you and give you peace. His love and peace. And so in the New Testament, you frequently see Paul and Peter and others giving their letters and they start out with grace and peace to you. They are going back to this blessing. This was more than just a nice way of starting a letter. It was an actual impartation to the people to which they were writing. Grace and peace to you. The final promise given here in the blessing is that incredible sentence says, So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. The name of the Lord will be placed upon His people. His blessing will in fact come upon them and accomplish what He intends. The name of the Lord upon us is the seal of His promise of His presence, of His provision, of all that He has. That's His covenant with us. He puts His name upon us. We are a chosen people. 
a royal generation, a holy priesthood, a people belonging to God. This is his promise. We belong to him. Therefore, that's the receiving of the blessing. Now, because we received the blessing, we get to return the blessing. We get to return the blessing. And we looked at this last week. Here in Mark 10 being our key scripture. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he walked blessed them. Jesus, standing in the tradition that was, was, was given 1,500 years before Jesus, 3,500 years before us, but Jesus stood in that same tradition and he took the children who were devalued in that society, who were to be, if anything, seen and not heard, or maybe not even seen or heard, but they were sort of at the outskirts of, of all society, but Jesus invited them, welcomed them, and took them in his arms, and he blessed them. Now last week we looked at some of the specific elements of the blessing. A blessing begins with a meaningful touch, continues with a spoken message, which expresses high value. This message pictures a special future for the one being blessed, and comes with an active commitment to see the blessing come to pass. And we unfolded this last week with a number of different biblical examples, which we won't take time to do this, uh, this morning. But I encourage you again to get the CD so that you can, and get the notes so that you have more context for what we're talking about. It begins with meaningful touch. Of course, in our society today, touch has been um, so distorted and at times corrupted that it has become something, we've sort of become a touchless society not only um, because of all of the distortions that have happened around it and, and people's concern about, uh, rightly so, all of the inappropriate touch and, and the things that have happened that are devastating to people. And so people live sort of in a, some, some sort of a bubble or cocoon, but also because of all of, you know, I mean, we've become an increasingly disconnected and detached people from one another living isolated lives. And yet, meaningful touch is very significant, both from a spiritual standpoint as well as from a practical physical standpoint as we saw last week and as we discovered and learned. We need meaningful touch. It makes a tremendous impact upon our lives. It also requires spoken word. It's not just enough to um, sort of passively show something, you have to speak it as well. Children in particular are literalists. If they don't hear your words, they won't naturally know what you're thinking. Neither will your spouse. Neither will your friends. We need to speak words that express high value. Here's the wonderful thing about the blessing, what the blessing does is it pictures a special future. 
it actually opens doors in the hearts of those who receive a blessing. It opens doors. It is not meant... Many times, unfortunately, tragically, our words can become prisons. We all know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Hooey! How untrue can that be? Words will hurt you often more deeply and more lasting than every any stick or stone might do. In fact, many times sticks and stones, I mean, the bruises will go away, and maybe even sometimes the memory, depending on how it happened or what, what the context was. But a hurtful word can set a course of a person's life in ways that are tragic, in ways that imprison them. And so our words need to be words which open doors, which open vistas before those in whom we have contact. And then there is the act of commitment. It does require a commitment to say, I'm not simply going to bless you, but I am going to stand alongside of you. I'm going to believe in you. And what I have, I will try to give to you and to enable, not because I am the source of this blessing, because that blessing comes from the Lord. However, as He has given me the ability to return a blessing to you, I will do what I can to help see that blessing come to fruition in your life. By returning the blessing, we return to the heart of God, the source of all blessing, and we return to the freedom that comes from walking in His truth. And we return to the fullness of His inheritance being imparted both to, uh, to us and through us. Now this morning, we're going to take that and we're going to use that as a jumping off point into the message this morning on reclaiming the blessing. Because here's the reality this morning. For many of us here, perhaps even for most of us, and in some ways, which I will explain later, I would say all of us here in this room did not receive in our lives at a human earthly level the fullness of the blessing. And for some of us here in this room, perhaps for many of us, we did not even receive even what, you know, if we were using percentages, maybe not even half of a blessing. And for some of us in this room, we may have received instead of blessing. If we're honest with ourselves and look at our lives, we actually receive cursing. So I want to come back and circle around this morning. Because I believe that in the heart of God, it is His desire today to help us reclaim the blessing in our lives. As well as, and we'll 
talk about this more next week, release the blessing fully into others. All right. Genesis chapter 27. This is a famous scripture. It's talking about Isaac. You know, there's Abraham, Isaac. We always hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, there's also Esau. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And you know some of the story of how they were in competition with one another from the very beginning. And when it came time to receive the blessing, Isaac is getting old, he's about to die, and Jacob comes in and deceives Isaac because of his blindness and his inability to tell who it is that he's laying hands on and speaking to. And so Isaac gives a tremendous blessing to Jacob. But then Esau comes in the room. And you hear the cry of Esau. When he heard his father's words, he burst out and he said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all of his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept aloud. And his father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth as riches richness away from the dew of heaven above you will live by the sword you will serve your brother but when you grow restless you will throw his yoke off of your neck many of us have perhaps heard ourselves internally crying out like Esau bless me too father me too is there not something for me What about my life? Does it not have value or significance? And so, we've lived apart from the blessing. Living apart from the blessing means living life without the full benefit of the impartation needed to fulfill one's assignment and calling. And so, there's there's a sense in which we have a handicapped, we're, we're, we're disabled in some way from fulfilling. We feel like that. We feel like we're living with an internal disposition which is, which is unable to fulfill that destiny and calling because we're living apart from that blessing. Let me unpack this a little bit more for you. Perhaps you will identify with some of these different homes. Homes that withhold the blessing. One home that withholds the blessing is an inconsistent home where the blessing is given to some, not others. Maybe you grew up in a home where you lived in the shadow of a brother or a sister, older or younger or whatever, or someone else in the family who received all of the attention who received all of the, as it were, it seemed like all of the blessing or all of... And and sometimes it's not even because that person was so gifted or good. It might have been that. 
Maybe somebody who was particularly gifted in athletics or particularly gifted in, in intellect or particularly gifted in some other way. And so there was a lot of attention given to that particular person. But sometimes it's to the person in the home who is the most dysfunctional person in the home. Maybe the child who's quote-unquote the black sheep. And they received all of the attention from the parent. And so there's a sense of inconsistency. Now, one of the things, let me be very clear right up front as I even begin to start to talk about these things. The purpose of this is not to bring condemnation in any way, shape, or form. This is the, I want you to hear that the Father has compassion because none of us are perfect. There is no perfect parent. If there is one, would you please stand to your feet right now because I would like to acknowledge you this morning. And we'd like to have you come up and share with us now, okay? Perfect parent in the room? I don't think so. So you may be even looking at your own life as a parent. You may be looking at this, you know, when we talk about this, there's probably a couple of different things going on. One is all of us here have been children And so we're looking through the lens of our family, the family of origin that we came out of. And many of us in this room are or will be parents, and so we're looking at it through the lens of our own parenting. And so there is a lot of opportunity here for us to live under a yoke this morning of condemnation that is not the purpose. Please hear me carefully. This is not the purpose. It's simply to bring light into shadows so that we can receive healing and so that we can reclaim the blessing that is ours from the Lord. So please, don't go back into the land of if only. How many of you have lived in the land of if only? I've lived in the land of if only. It is not a productive place. I want to move us forward, okay? This is about living a life of blessing. It's about moving forward, okay? So I'm acutely aware this morning that this message has the potential of bringing up lots of different stuff in our hearts and in our minds. And so as I've been praying about this, just asking the Lord's protection around us and His provision of healing to us. Okay? So inconsistent. The blessing is given to some, not others. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it's so real. It's so human. It doesn't sugarcoat things. And so, just as there are no perfect families here this morning, there is no perfect family outlined for us in the Scriptures. In fact, most of them were a big mess. And yet, God did incredible stuff. But they were a mess. Come on, let's be real. So we hear Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, and the the great, incredible, and we think, wow, Mount Rushmore. But all of these guys had some parental issues, parenting issues. Big time. And Jacob was a profound example of this inconsistent, giving the blessing to some and not others. It says Israel, who is Jacob. It gets confusing because Jacob's called is, you know, anyway. Israel and Jacob, same guy. Loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. 
Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him, and when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Jacob thought he was giving the blessing to Joseph, but in fact, it was a very mixed blessing, and not only that, but all of the other sons ended up jealous of Joseph because, you know, the sun was always shining on Joseph. And all of the other brothers were in shadow. An inconsistent home. An incomplete home, or an incomplete blessing. The blessing given is partial, not full. This is every one of our homes. (laughs) Everybody. But certainly, we're just looking at Esau. What about me? And it was an incomplete blessing. It was like it wasn't the full blessing. Some of us grew up in fractured homes. Maybe there was one parent who wasn't around or or one parent who was absent for periods of time or, or different things. And somehow there was an incompleteness about the blessing that we received. Maybe there were spoken words, but there was no active commitment. Maybe there was commitment, but there were no words. Somehow, in some way, there was an incompleteness about that blessing. And then there's those homes, the impossible homes, where the blessing is always placed just out of reach. It's kind of like the mechanical bunny in front of the, uh, the horse track where they're always trying, you know, you're trying to get at it and you can never quite reach it because it's always moving just in front of you. Yeah, the dog track. Dog track, what did I say? Sorry, the dog track. Yeah, there we go. All right. The best picture I could get of this scripturally was Exodus 5, not specifically parenting, but here it was. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the word heart work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. In my experience, living as a part of the church, specifically the evangelical church, and the evangelical, for the last over 25 years, the evangelical charismatic or Pentecostal church, I would say that perhaps the largest distortion that we have about the character of God is that sort of we we superimpose on his character this concept of the Pharaoh God who's always asking us for just something more. If you prayed just a bit more, if you gave just a bit more, if you did just a bit more, and somehow his blessing is always just out of reach. So rather than living out of a free place, where we know who we are as his children and we're able and desired to give more out of an open, 
free, liberated place, we're always seeking to earn what He's already given to us. But it comes out of, and, and you know, this is a hard place as a parent. It's difficult. I mean, let's be honest. Your kid comes home with five A's and a B. What do you put on the focus? Come on. What do you put on? Now, maybe there needs to be a focus there, but there also needs to be a recognition of all that's been done. And it can't be done in the context of, well, I'll really love you when you finally get it all together. Now, I referenced last week the book uh, The Blessing by John Trent and, and Gary Smalley, written a long time ago, 25 years ago or so. Excellent book. As they kind of looked over the landscape, they saw that the responses to this living apart from the blessing, some of the characteristics of people who have experienced and lived and grown up in homes that perhaps withheld the blessing. And so they've listed about seven different types of people that, that sort of they've noticed. Now, please notice that, or please note up front here that not every one of these is because of a blessing was withheld. There can be lots of other factors that go into this. This is very complex. But these are just some things that they noticed out of their ministry, watching people over many, many years, and discerned and discovered that this is, this is some of the ways in which people who live apart from the blessing end up living their lives. First of all, there is the seekers who are searching for intimacy but unable to trust. So they want intimacy, but there's always sort of a, there's always sort of a, a fence or a wall there. They can, they can only get so close, but then the gates go up, the locks go on the doors, the shutters come down over the windows... You've just gotten close enough. But there's really a longing for it deep within, but there's a, there's a distrust which constantly pulls the rug out from under. There's the shattered. The struggle with fear and anxiety and depression. Of course, there are many here and many in our world around us who have gone through... Um, the horrific torment of abuse in various ways. And for some who have experienced that abuse, it simply shattered their lives and they live in a place of fear and anxiety and depression and there's, always, there's just a sense that, that their lives have come undone and there's no way to put the pieces back together. Humpty Dumpty has fallen off of the wall or been pushed. There's the smotherers who will grasp for it for an, from anyone who happens to have any life whatsoever. They're so desperate to receive the blessing if anybody comes along who has any life at all within them, they just want to grab hold and hang on for dear life and not let go because they need so desperately to receive that blessing. They'll do just about anything to get it. And they don't even realize 
that the very thing that they're grasping for has been given to them, but they're trying to get it from another source. The angry, who just carry a chip around on their shoulder. You all know. You've known the angry, you've known those. who are just carrying that around. And you can't even understand what it's about, and you know it's not probably you, but you can't figure out what it is. But there's just a chip there. There's, a, there's an edge there. There's a sharpness there. The detached. Sort of similar to the seekers, but even more so, they just simply protect themselves by withdrawing. I am a rock. I am an island. I don't need anyone. No one needs me. Thank you very much. I'll just go over here. And I'm not talking about people who are, I mean, there's some of us who are naturally introverted or naturally extroverted. It has nothing, I'm not talking about a personality trait. I'm talking about withdrawing as a self-protective mechanism to keep hurt away. The driven. Trying to earn the blessing by performance and perfection. If I'm just perfect enough if I just perform enough, then finally somebody will notice me and I will receive the blessing for which I've longed for all of this time. I just need to be more perfect. I just need to do better. I just need to make more bricks. I need to make bricks without straw. And I'll make it. And there's the seduced who look for love and acceptance in all kinds of unhealthy ways. How many in our society are seeking? They don't even know that they're looking for the blessing. They don't even realize that there's a gap in their life, but they're looking for something, and they look in all of the wrong places. There was a um, study that was done. 90%, listen to this, 90% of male compulsive gamblers, by their own self-revelation, you know, said, that they had hor this horrible childhood. Their childhood was just bad. They lived without the blessing. Now they're looking. Now they're, it's the it's the mechanical bunny. If I just I'm going to win the lottery and then then I'm going to have that thing that I've been looking for. Tragically, how many young women looking, seeking for blessing that they never got from dad? looking for that blessing somewhere else. Let me say again, this is not to condemn. You or anyone else or your parents, we're going to get to that in a moment. But this is just to shine light on this and look at your own life and say, what are the ways that I've been living apart from the blessing? How... How have, I been, how have I been reacting rather than responding? Because I'm reacting to something that I've missed, that I lack. All right. So let's talk about restoring the blessing in our lives. Because that's what the reclaiming is all about. How, how then? Is there, is there hope in this? What, what do I do? My mom and dad are dead and gone. Mine aren't, by the way. But 
you might be saying this morning, my, my father and mother are gone. I can't ever hear those words. I can't ever get that thing that I've longed for. My kids are long gone. I can't possibly, what can I do? I, what do I do? First of all, we have to recognize the truth. We need to have an encounter with the truth of God. A clear-eyed look at reality. First of all, we need to recognize the truth about our family. I'm going to give you a word that I want you to hear very clearly deep down This might be startling. Your family is not perfect. Your mom and dad were not perfect. You are not perfect. The degree of imperfection may be vast or narrow, but for everyone, there is imperfection. But I'm going to tell you that part of the way in which you can begin to reclaim the blessing is, first of all, to understand your family. Because when you begin to understand your family... That will help you understand yourself. And not only do you need to understand your family. In fact, here's what I would invite you to do. Not only do you need to study your family, your parents, in some way, shape, or form to understand them. You need to understand your grandparents. Because your parents were affected by their parents. They didn't grow up in a vacuum. So we need to understand, and scriptures, interesting scripture I want to put up here, I mean, you know, it's familiar, it's part of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So what does that mean? What does honor mean? Honor means to give appropriate weight to. The honor that you give to your mother and father is of a different weight than the honor that you give to God. And the honor that you give to your mother and father is not conditional upon their perfection. However, it is intricately impacted by how life-giving perhaps that they were to you. And and so their words and their actions you need to, to give appropriate weight to. In other words, if your parents who undoubtedly in some way, shape, or form loved you, but had no way of articulating or expressing that to you, or all that you seemed to ever receive or hear from them was something other than blessing, then you need to give appropriate weight to those words and those actions. What does that mean? That may mean putting them in the context of their lives and who they are and their brokenness. And we'll get to this in a minute, releasing those words back to the Lord. 
You also need to understand about, recognize the truth about yourself. And what is the truth about you? What is the truth about you? What does the Bible say? What does God say about you? Fearfully and wonderfully made. That's right. Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Goes on to say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. By the way, we have a new baby in the house. Felix and Sheila Mename had little baby Burl on Friday. Beryl. I'm sorry, let me pronounce it correctly. Beryl. B-E-R-Y-L. Baby Beryl. So we were there to see her. Read Psalm 139, got to hold this beautiful one, and pray blessing into her. You've searched me, and you know me. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, verse 32. When we begin to know the truth about who we are, our true identity in Christ, there is a freedom that comes. One of my prayers that I have prayed for probably over 20 years is this prayer of David's from Psalm 51. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Lord, teach me truth in the inner parts. Give me wisdom in the inmost places. Establish that truth of my identity in Christ in you. Establish that in me. This is the first step, the first antidote to restoring the blessing in your life, to reclaiming that blessing, is recognize who you are. Yes, recognize your family. Look hard at some of the, maybe some of the shadows that were there and let the light of God begin to shine into there. The part of knowing the truth is understanding the reality so that you can step out from the shadows and fully into the light. Because that's what His desire is for you and for me. Receive from God. I love this verse. Would you please hear this? I love this. This is David in Psalm 27. He says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Even if everyone else around you, your mother, your father, and all forsake you, the Lord will receive you. And guess what? He is the perfect father. And I understand that tragically for many, even thinking about God as a father may be very difficult because it has all the connotations of your earthly father and his brokenness. And I would say to you as your pastor, oh, and so my heart breaks and grieves for you in that place of the brokenness from your father. But I want you to know that there is a father who is perfect and who truly does love you unconditionally. You know the scripture in Luke 15 and the the two boys and the father and the parable of the loving father and the boy went off and he went off into a far land and, and he spent and squandered all that he had and, and um, 
one day he was there um, and he was so hungry he wanted to eat the pods of pigs, which in that culture, Jewish, I mean, that would have been just unbelievably, you know, I mean, that was as degraded as it could possibly get. And he suddenly, he came to a sense and as he realized back in his father's house, the slaves ate better than he was eating here. I'll go back to dad. And while, and he, so he went up, he got up and he went to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him and then told the servants, get everything ready, get his, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals, this son of mine who was lost has been found, we're going to throw a party, I'm going to remind him of who he is, he's my child, and this is the heart of God to you today waiting to receive you and to throw his arms around you and to remind you who you are. We need to understand that somewhere deep within us. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Abba, Father, Daddy! Daddy! We receive a Spirit that allows us to cry, Daddy! But this isn't all. A couple more things and we're done. We need to recognize the truth and we need to receive from God, but sometimes, sometimes, that can feel even a little bit abstract. It's like the little girl with the thunderstorm. You know the story. The thunder was bolts of lightning and crashes of thunder, and she came up out of her bed, and she came running into her parents' room, and she climbed into bed next to her dad, and she just held on to him for dear life, shaking with fear. And dad said, Honey, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus is with you. And the little girl said, but daddy, right now, I just need to have Jesus with skin on. Thankfully, daddy just put his arm around her and held her. So we need to receive from others. I love this scripture. Psalm 68, 6. God sets the lonely in families. This is his heart. To set the lonely in families. That's why he's created the church. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You have been welcomed in as a member of the body of Christ. You've been welcomed into the family of God. You are a part of something substantial and real. In fact, some of you have discovered that your family, the family of God, is closer to you than even your own physical family. That's why Paul instructed Timothy, who was a young man, he said, don't rebuke an older man harshly. Exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters with absolute purity treat one another as family because that's what you are. 
and we need to receive from others who have the life of God in them to release and impart to you. Sometimes we need to have another mother or another father. Those of you who were, the, were at Borgie's funeral heard my wife get up here, and that was, you know, my wife doesn't do a lot of public, certainly not a lot of public demonstration of deep emotion, but she just shared how Borgie, because of her mom's, her mom's own incapacity, physically and otherwise, to be able to, to be in that place, that Borgie had really become as a mom to Annette. We have that we have that for one another. We get to pour into the lives of others. God is going to bring people into your lives. It's our opportunity to be mothers and fathers. I mean, look at right here. Dad and mom to Yolin, okay? Yolin came over here. This is dad. Daddy Allen. All right? Daddy Allen has already been in to talk to me because daughter Yolin is getting married. By the way, did you know that uh, Yolin is getting married? So, all right. So dad had to come in and talk to me. All right? Do you see the family resemblance? I do, because I know them. Okay? That's being father and mother. All right, finally. Release the blessing to others. And we're going to talk about this much more next week. But let me just... uh, I came across, you know, in the Saturate, which we're at again tonight, 6 o'clock, Saturate. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John tonight. This week, you want to be reading the Book of Acts. We're already reading it in our house, and it's so exciting. Book of Acts is cool. I mean, there's lots of great stuff happening. So get going. Start reading. If you're falling behind, you have special dispensation, it's okay. Start in the Book of Acts. Just, just read some. Start reading. Come tonight, 6 o'clock. Great time of dialogue, and, and, and I keep seeing stuff. I mean, I've read these scriptures multiple, multitude times. I, I, you know, but I, I always, something keeps coming up fresh and new every single time. Such it is with this scripture out of Luke. I love this. I know the second part of it, but I'd forgotten the context. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, he's not just talking about finances here. He's talking about forgiveness. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So when you freely give, when you begin, and here's one of the ways to heal, one of the ways to reclaim the blessing in your own life, is to give the blessing to others. It's the old, if you want a friend, be a friend. Give what you don't even feel like you've got. But if you do it in obedience, it comes back. It just does. The goodness of the Lord. All right. Here's the conclusion. The blessing from God is greater than any curse. And His grace and goodness will enable us to reclaim the blessing and receive the impartation we need to fulfill our assignment and calling. 
So here's the good news for you today. For those of you that have felt like you've been living apart from the blessing for so long, I want you to know this morning that there is the opportunity for you to reclaim that blessing even today, by faith, to begin to step out in this year of return, where we return to God, return into freedom, return to His inheritance. This is part of the freedom and inheritance that comes from being with Him. Let Him pour it in to your life today. You know, the word curse is interesting because in the Hebrew it means to devalue. It means to not appropriately honor. It means disrespect it means to de, de it's a dehumanizing thing a curse but i want you to know just as it says in that great hymn that we sing at christmas joy to the world he has come to make his blessings known far as the curse is found he's come to make his blessing known last scriptures Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What are we? A new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. The Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. The end of Genesis, Genesis 50, 20, I love it. You intended to harm me, Joseph said, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God will take even the brokenness in your life and He will bring forth transformation because God is the ultimate green God. He is the recycler of all things. And He will take even the wounds and the hurts and the brokenness of our lives and He reshapes it to bring forth something new. Something beautiful. Something precious. Because you are valuable. Every one of you has value beyond compassion beyond any other earthly thing, every single one of you has incredible value to God. And He wants for you to reclaim that blessing. Worship team, please come on up if you would. Now, this is one of those times where I'm particularly aware that as I have shared, enormous amounts of things have come up in people's minds and in their thoughts. Things that we cannot possibly unpack in the context of a Sunday morning service. So I just want you to know that there are numbers of people here, there are elders and others within the congregation who are gifted in various areas to just come alongside. If you need to talk some things out with somebody, I encourage you to do so. We have a Lifestreams prayer ministry here that meets on Monday nights. And uh, there is groups of trained uh, people who will meet with you and pray with you. They will uh, meet in teams of three for two hours just to saturate you in prayer, to help 
in prayer to unpack some of these things that we've talked about this morning and see and just be Jesus with skin on with you to see the healing grace of the Lord delivered into your lives. There's just numbers of different ways that you can connect to help and to healing because this reclaiming of the blessing, it's both, it's kind of like, it's kind of akin to salvation. Salvation is a point in a process. We are saved and we're being saved. We are blessed and we're being blessed. We're in this process. There's an ongoing process that unfolds in our lives. And so I don't want to be overly casual about this or, or cavalier that, okay, we're just going to, you know, come to the altar and we'll pray a prayer over you and all will be better now. But I do want to invite you to the altar because, you know what, God can do stuff at the altar that can begin a process for you of having that transformation. So in just a moment, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to sing the song that we just learned as our offertory. Go ahead and put up the words if you would. I have a maker who formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hand. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, hears me when I call. I have a father who calls me his own. He'll never leave me. No matter where I go, He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. And so, as we sing this, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar. And I'm going to invite elders and prayer ministry folks to come and pray with those who come. And we're going to just ask the Lord to begin that process of healing and reclaiming the blessing in your life this morning. And then after we've sung through that and people are here, then I will give a benediction and we'll be released for those who need to go. But if we could just focus together, and even if you're not coming to the altar, would you begin to pray for those who are? Could we stand to our feet right now to facilitate people getting out and being able to move through the seats if we could just stand to our feet? Here we go.